Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, the start of a critical stretch for stocks. As this week brings the CPI, the kickoff for earnings season, the investment committee, of course, debating what all of it means for your money as we move ahead. Joining me for the hour, Joe Terranova, Anastasia Amoroso, Jim Labenthal, Steve Weiss. Check the markets. Uh, so we've got a pretty decent day developing in the S&P. Nasdaq's outperforming. Dow dragged by Boeing, as you know, but it, even it's coming off its worst levels. Uh, so the MAG-7 is rallying today. Uh, Jim Labenthal, our top story is uh, all about you because it's all about Boeing. And you have sold Boeing and you have sold Alaska Air. Quite a, uh, quite a weekend. Uh, let me start by saying how happy I am that there's no loss of life. And I don't say that trivially. I'm going to come back to that in a minute. But, but fundamentally, uh, there's a problem with Boeing. Um, this news about the, uh, air, the door plug that blew out is going to have earnings impact. Here's why. For one, it's going to increase the pace of inspections, the number of inspections of planes that are being produced. That's going to slow down their production rate increases, which is a central part of the thesis for holding the stock. Furthermore, this exacerbates a, a tenuous relationship with the FAA which Boeing is relying upon to certify the Dash 7 and Dash 10 uh, models of the 737 MAX. And finally, we were this close, folks, uh, to China getting deliveries and orders of 737 MAXs. You know, maybe that happens. And by the way, I hope all these negative things don't come to pass, all right? I really am hoping these don't come to pass. But it's hard to imagine that China looks at this news and says, yeah, let's take on some more 737 MAXs right now. So fundamentally, that's going to impact the earnings profile going forward. I said I wanted to come back to the loss, lack of loss of life. I can't tell you how grateful I am, but this is not how I want to invest. I don't want to invest waking up in the morning and saying to myself, thank God there were no passengers lost on that plane. It's not an investment I want to have. Um, I'll take the risk that earnings come in poorly for a stock and then a stock goes down and I have to answer to you, the viewers, Scott, you, the judge, uh, my clients and everybody, but I'm not going to take that risk um, that another accident happens. I want to add a big disclaimer here. I am comfortable flying Boeing planes. I'm comfortable flying any FAA approved airliner uh, operated and maintained by an FAA approved airline. That's not what this is about. This is about the numbers that all it takes is one accident for this stock and the conversations that we're having today to be dramatically different. So we, we see the, the intraday chart here is, is off of the worst levels. A couple of things come to mind um, is uh, your sort of love-hate history with the management team here, which has caused you at times to question the ownership of and the investment. Mm -hmm. um, the other is a more hard to gauge thing that happens to every investor from time to time, and that's emotional decision making. Yes. And the idea of you making sure that this is not a emotional decision that you will come to regret. Mm hmm. 
I'll just give you the floor for that because there are two things that I think about. And certainly I thought about that specific question, is this an emotional decision all weekend long? Um, it's why I led with the fundamental aspects, the impacts that I think are going to happen here. I'm not going to deny there's an emotional aspect. Okay, I wake up in the morning, I'm about to pay you a big compliment. Okay, Scott, when I wake up in the morning and I know I'm on the show and something's gone wrong with a stock, I think to myself, how are you and I going to interact? You hold my feet, you hold all of our feet to the fire about Bob, bad operational results. And I'm comfortable that it makes me a better investor having to face that fire from you. I'm not going to do that with potential safety in airliners. Just not going to do it. That is an emotional decision, but it's backed up by the fundamentals. Um, I will say, and this, I guess, a little bit in my defense, you know, um, I bought this stock a lot in 2022. I was on the air, so I've got meaningful holdings below $180 a share. I'm comfortable getting out with all of my clients in a nice gain position. So in terms of the emotion, is this something I look back on regret? I'm also buying. Okay, so I'm getting out of Alaska Airlines where I didn't like that Hawaiian Airlines purchase to begin with, and this just kind of adds to it. I'm buying more Delta Airlines. I'm buying more of the small cap S&P 600. So I'm taking money out of where I perceive the risk reward opportunity is imbalanced to the downside, and I'm putting it into areas where I see better risk reward opportunities. That's taking the emotion out of it. Okay, we appreciate your candor on that, obviously. Anastasia, um, so this move, you know, aside, Jim's small cap buy is interesting. It goes to where this market's kind of been going uh, of late. Now, mega cap's bouncing. We got CPI on Thursday, earnings Friday. We mentioned that um, New York Fed inflation expectations today down across the board. That was a big moment. Stocks got a little bit of a bump. Yields got a little bit of a dip. Is this the week that decides the future of the rally, plain and simple? I think it's a really important week. And I think what happened last week is really important in terms of setting up a better positive outlook for this week. And what I mean by that, Scott, is that yields have moved higher last week quite a bit. And that was a repricing of growth expectations, maybe a little bit of inflation expectations, and certainly of the path of future Fed policy. But now that you look at the 10-year at 405, 408, that's sort of close to where the fair value implied is. So that's good news. The other thing I would say, we came into last week, into the new year, with a very overbought condition when you look at technical indicators. We've corrected some of that across a variety of stocks last week as well. And then to your point about the catalyst for this week, we have a lot that is happening fundamentally. We've got the JP Morgan Healthcare Conference this week. We've got, of course, the uh, CS show, uh, the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas. Mm -hmm. And that's really going to focus investors' attention, not on the macro, not on the rates, but fundamentally what's happening with innovation in healthcare and technology. So I think a lot of buyers will emerge this week. And you look at some of the stocks and, for example, semiconductors, they've pulled back a lot last week, but we are certainly seeing investors stepping in and buying them. All right, Weiss, new week, um, same story, still intact. Don't look at the Dow today because it's skewed, obviously, dramatically by Boeing, Um, but even it's coming back. NAS is up one and a third percent. So you got all the mega caps are having a nice little move today. Yeah. So, uh, so I think we're okay. I mean, pending than what you brought up which is the inflation number, and pending the heart of earnings season, which, again, to me, the number is going to be fine. Uh, and then we'll talk about the guidance. Companies tend to be more optimistic than they should. Um, so, so I think we're okay for now. Uh, I still worry about the economy and economic growth going forward. I still don't know now, despite what we see in futures, et cetera, where the market is, uh, is pinning their hopes on terms of an easing of the first cut. Well, by the way, on that, you, yep. you did have a very modest increase in the probability of a March cut on the New York Fed inflation expectation numbers. Yep. Bank of America today suggests that March is still in play. Yep. I mean, 
you know, if you continue to get good news on the inflation front, there's no reason to believe that the Fed is not going to move to normalize yep. rates in a faster clip than we once would have expected. Yeah, and, and I think that's why the inflation number is going to be a critical number, because that's either going to buttress that case or it's going to refute it and delay it. Unquestionably, the Fed's going to go three times this year, in my view, because the trend inflation is going to continue to be down. Is that enough for the bills? For the bulls? I actually think it is. So then we only have to worry about earnings. And then, frankly, we only have to worry about mega cap earnings. So I'm comfortable with those. So I still believe that the market is a mega cap technology market, technology overall. We've seen the semis really broaden. I am worried, however, about, as we saw from FedEx a few weeks ago, I am worried about consumer-driven companies, and I'm worried about very economically sensitive companies, like the deers, like the cats, et cetera. So that's where, despite the infrastructure spending, which Jimmy appropriately points to continuously, I just don't, I think that's gonna be concentrated in a few companies, number one, number two, it's not gonna be dispersed, actually, for a while in terms of the major part of it. So you got Lori Calvacina today, RBC goes to 51.50 from 5,000. You've got UBS at 5,000. Um, Bank of America set up for 2024 remains positive. Earnings remain resilient. So, I mean, if earnings remain resilient and you got inflation expectations for all these time frames going in the right direction and then these monthly reads, you know, play ball with that story, where's the downside? Well, there, there's nothing about what's happened in the first week that should lead every, anyone to believe that the prevailing trend of the last six months. Hey, hold your thought real quick. Phil LeBeau's got uh, some uh, news regarding the FAA and Boeing. Phil, what do we know here? Uh, Scott, the multi-operator message that is basically the guidelines for inspections on those 737 MAX-9s that are grounded around the world, and we're talking about Alaska and United here uh, in the U.S. Well, this message to the era, the airlines in terms of the inspection process has been approved by the FAA. In layman's terms, what does that mean? This is a big step towards those Dash 9 MAXs being inspected and then re-entering service. They're grounded until the inspection process is completed, which, and we're not gonna get into all the details of what the inspection includes, but primarily the airlines are gonna be looking at those plug doors, which is the door that, or it's not even a door, it flew off on the 737 MAX 9 that was being flown by Alaska Airlines. So what's going to happen now is the airlines will take these guidelines, these rules, do the inspections, and theoretically, it should be a matter, it shouldn't be that long before we start to see some of these MAX 9s re-enter service. Do I expect it today? No. Do I expect it in the next couple of days? Based on this language, yes. That's the point uh, that I think I heard you make earlier uh, with Jim, David, and Carl, Phil, is that um, this happens pretty quickly. This, this could happen pretty quickly. Yes. Yes. The inspection process, four to eight hours per plane. Um, and that's the idea at this point. Uh, now, look, there could be an inspection done, and they find something wrong with the plug. Uh, and therefore that plane is going to be taken out of service. But if they do the inspection and it meets all of the requirements, then theoretically this plane is ready to go back into service. Phil, I appreciate it. Thanks for the update. That's Phil LeBeau, the latest. You bet. Uh, with his Boeing development, the FAA's response to it. So back to you. Uh, forgive yeah. me for interrupting you. Uh, just to refresh our memories, we're talking about targets for the S&P being bumped a little bit. 
People suggesting the story is still intact. I mentioned inflation expectations playing ball with that point of view. Economy's hanging in. I asked you where the downside is. Well, there's, there's, there's nothing fundamentally in the first week that would suggest that the prevailing trend coming out of 2023 is being defeated. This is all, as Anastasia has correctly pointed out, this is all technical in its nature. And I think today is evidence to that very early. You saw that there was strong buying interest in NVIDIA. The clear target was the all-time high. We exceeded the all-time high, and we've propelled even further than that. And it's broadened out beyond just NVIDIA. It's AMD, it's Salesforce, it's Twilio, which is up 7% today. Mm -hmm. It's Arista, A-N-E-T, which is reaching an all-time high. So I think it's very important to to understand the technical orientation of what has happened here in the first week, Scott, and to be steadfast in your belief that the conditions, as you cite, disinflation coming down, Federal Reserve no longer adversarial, and the potential that we've now had the NASDAQ, the S&P, and ultimately the Russell coming out of an earnings recession. And that creates a very fertile environment for 2024 if you want to actively find and pick stocks. Well, I mean, NVIDIA's bucked the trend to begin with, right? That, that stock is up, yeah, I don't know, three and a half percent over a week. They got some new announcements today, of course. Over, over the last week, but yeah. let's keep in mind, since August, NVIDIA really hasn't gone very far. NVIDIA's kind of been flat while the rest of the market's been higher. Yeah, well, I mean, it is up 8% in a month, so I'm just going to throw yep. that throw that out there. You heard Christina Partzinevelis today talking about this AI at home idea. They've got this new China-focused AI chip, according to sources. Top pick at New Street, 700 bucks. Weiss Apple remains critical, too, and that stock is bouncing today. It's been ugly of late. Yep. Evercore today says time to buy on the dip. They reiterate their outperform. 220 is the price target. We do think the recent multiple compressions overdone. Yeah, I, I don't think the multiple compressions overdone. I don't think it's been enough, frankly. And when, when Apple moves, you don't know if it's moving as a result of the S&P moving and the NASDAQ moving or if it's moving because people are actually buying Apple directly. So in my view, it's still overvalued. The fundamentals are much better, much, much better in the other big cap, Microsoft, Meta, uh, Alphabet, Amazon. And let's look, you know, not enough focus is put on the transition that Apple is making on their supply chain. They can't get out of China fast enough. And while they're trying to get out of China, Chinese sales are atrophying there. So that's a big issue. China had been their number one supplier, one of their top markets, over 20%. So, so the variability, the sensitivity to their earnings for a company that hasn't been putting up revenue growth is, and by the way, that leads also, let's not forget, to the App Store, so services. So I just don't know why you have to own Apple here at this level. You want to give me the answer? Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know that today, I kind of agree with what Stephen's saying. I don't know today is some form of a referendum specifically on Apple. You know, we keep trying to pretend and play this game that the Mag 7 are not going to matter in 2024. Why would it be a referendum and, and on the, Apple? Because the stocks are. up today. Just well, the stocks are bouncing. Exactly. No one's suggesting and that, and that's it's a the referendum. Point. It's, it's NVIDIA that's leading the market higher. It's pulling the rest of the Magnificent Seven up along with it. But statistically, that obviously has a very strong effect overall on the indices itself. So I still look at Apple amongst the Magnificent Seven, and I don't know that you could say 
Apple is going to be the individual stock that's going to outperform the other Mag no. 7. And keep in mind, in 23, it didn't. It actually underperformed the other Mag 7. So there's challenges there in terms of growing the revenue. Right. There's challenges there in understanding what the AI conceptually is going to be. What's the innovation for they generative AI? They have no AI. strategy for AI well, right they, now. They'll come out with they may something. have a strategy, but they they'll, have no solution They'll come out with something in 23, right. but show us what it is. So I, I don't know. I look at Apple, and to me, out of the Mag 7, it's, it's probably towards the bottom of yeah, the list. Yeah, I, I think with the AI, it's one area where you can't wait and try to pressure the market to come into you, as they tried to do and failed with cable, as they tried to do in other areas, they just can't wait and be last to the party and improve upon it like they've done with yeah, the but iPhone, you which you lags. Know, but you don't know, you don't know what their, their ultimate plan is. But I mean, you're assuming that their last two- Right, no idea. The, the, the chatbot party, or, or I don't know, that, that's, how do we know? We don't know, but the point is, is that the strategy that's worked is getting in front of that, as we saw with Microsoft. So Microsoft rewrote the playbook. They took a, a company that was not prime time ready, that's some utility, some consumer, you know, attraction because of the uses. And so now that's helped their multiple and put them out there as a leader. Different kind Apple's of, different different kinds of companies, we, though. We've, we've heard in the market, we've read, or I've read in the trade papers, that they're searching for the solution for AIB. They're searching for the partners, and they haven't found them yet. Ultimately, they will, of course. And is that a death blow to the company that they don't know? It's a reason to me why the multiple should compress somewhat from where it is. Uh, I hear you both. And look, I'm, I'm kind of lukewarm on the stock, to tell you the truth. I think the reason the multiple may not compress, and you know this, is just the amount of share buybacks that they do. They do a ton, and they're really shrinking their share count. But having said that, that doesn't wake me up in the morning and get me really passionate, Joe. I'm, I'm with you on this. It's hard to get passionate about this. I think the AI solution will come. I think it's kind of obvious to me that Siri is more than a Trojan horse in that regard. I mean, it's in terms of the actual access for the consumer to AI, Siri is right there. You press a, a, you know, a side button on your phone, and there it is. So I think they'll get that figured out pretty quickly. I'm just not that worried about the multiple compressing, as I said, but I can't get excited. I can't add to it. I'm underweight. There's just, I can't get excited. But I mean, the, the stock, you said, oh, the stock underperformed the mega caps. Well, yes. Okay. So it underperformed dramatically a couple of the names that were up 200%. Okay. It was still up almost 50%. So put dramatically in quotes. Okay. But you still had the NASDAQ, which was up nearly 40%. I just think that you can't dismiss- It outperformed the NASDAQ. Okay, but of the MAG-7, you've already acknowledged that it underperformed. And in terms of revenue growth, it was clearly the one company of the MAG-7 that was most challenged in terms of revenue growth. And I don't think you could and dismiss that premise. Look, Scott, I've owned, Apple for, I've owned Apple personally in the index for a very long, I'm a big believer in the company. And you know what? It's, it's probably fair to say that while we don't know what their AI strategy is going to be, because they're Apple, we could be pretty confident that when they present the AI strategy, it's going to be good. It's going to be good. It's going to be effective. It's going to be beneficial to the bottom line. But we still don't know what the AI strategy is. I know what the AI strategy is for other companies like Microsoft. I know what the AI strategy is for Alphabet. It appears as though that's coming around. Well, you do. We're, we're, Alphabet yeah, at I least do. has presented a little bit more with Gemini than Apple has. You have to acknowledge that. You might not believe 
that what they've presented so far is on strong footing, but at least we have an initial understanding of what the AI concept is. But we feel like there are entirely different kinds of businesses we're talking about here. And that was going to be my point. Apple is hardware, it's consumer product. So I don't know how AI, sure with Siri. I mean, it's a hardware and services company. It's not a search company. Right, and and it's not a business services company like Microsoft is and like like Google is, Alphabet is. So I don't know how much uh, AI is going to impact their revenue. That's where I struggle. I'm sure people smarter than me are figuring it out, know where it is. But I've asked the question to people say, oh, they're going to be the leading AI player. I said, where, why, what? So they'll come up with something, but they've got to go from being a hardware company, which is what they are, and an app store, to using that as a service, which is where Google is and where Microsoft is and where others are. What's your take on the mega caps? You know, speaking of Apple, they'll come up with something that's right. But I think the challenge right now is that when you look at catalysts across the tech space, it's not so much the hardware, it's not so much the phones, especially if there's an issue with uh, with the unit sales in China. And, and of course, there's also geopolitical competition. And I think that is partially what's weighing on uh, on shares in the business of Apple. But my, te- my, my take on uh, the, the big tech space, I think that continues uh, to be a part of the artificial intelligence momentum. But, you you know, what is what are the first artificial intelligence applications? Those are shortcuts to productivity. They're not necessarily devices, but is how can we be more efficient with our time? And that is squarely the leadership that Microsoft has right now. Weiss, quickly, because I want to move, but you do have an interesting move here. I, I, you explained it to us. You re-entered Humana. Yeah, I, I did. with that? Because you uh, sold out of it completely. Yep. Now you're back? Yeah, I mean, it's called trading. No, but why and, did you do and, that? And so, well, you didn't he, sound like you were. Your description the other day. Thank you for the description, by the way. Um, yeah. You didn't sound the other day like somebody who was uh, out of it for a, you know the weekend, and you're going to get back in. Look, uh, when I worked for Steve Cohen, what he said was they had limits, and this is at Millennium, and this is elsewhere. Where if a stock falls a certain percentage, now you're name dropping and going down your resume. <laughs> yeah, I, I am. I am. It's pretty impressive, is it not? Where else were you? Uh, at? You're just going down the wrong um, road today. I could tell with the moves. But, but <laughs> look, you, you keep know, sometimes dig, keep digging a hole. Go ahead. Sometimes you got to get out of a stock, okay, and just think clearly about it, and then you go back in. I predict Jim's going to go back in at Boeing some this point. This is a, right? actually a great point, right? So I took a fresh look at it. It was a losing trade, and I look at it as that it got exceedingly cheap at 14 times this year's number, 12 times next year's number. Talk about a contrarian play. Look at the stock price. It was hated. So it's a good counterbalance. If you look at it today, this morning before NASDAQ really ripped, this was ripping. So it's a counterbalance to my tech exposure. So that's why I'm in it. So it's still a trade. You think this sector is going to have a good year? Uh, I, I think certain stocks can have a good year. It, look, it's not news that election years are trying, but we've got so much other crap going on and so much, and so many other narratives. I don't know how big a focus is going to be on healthcare. I don't know how much the voters care about healthcare. All right, so we'll, let's do this. Let's squeeze in a quick break. When we come back, uh, of course, talking about the crypto countdown. SEC is expected to rule this week on the first ever Bitcoin ETF. We have ARK Invest Kathy Wood joining us next to discuss that. We'll go through her portfolio a little bit as well. Coming off the worst week since September, but coming off a really, really massive end of the year too for a lot of her stocks. That's just ahead in ETF Edge next.
Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit odfl.com to learn more. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. All right, welcome back. Bitcoin's higher today as we await the SEC's ruling on the first ever Bitcoin ETF. Let's get to Bob Pisani now with today's ETF Edge and special guest, Kathy Wood. Bob? Uh, Scotty, good to see you. You know, it's been 10 years in the waiting, 10 years. But crypto enthusiasts believe the SEC is finally on the verge of approving a spot Bitcoin ETF, perhaps as soon as this week. We'll see. There's 13 applicants for Bitcoin ETFs. First in line, Kathy Wood from Mark Invest. Kathy joins us now. Great to see you, Kathy. You, you know, Great Kathy. To see you, Bob. You were around. It was the the Winklevoss twins who filed for the first Bitcoin ETF. It was 2013, as I recall, and I think it took until 2017 for the SEC to reject that application along with all the others. Do you believe your application will be approved? And, and why do you think so? And, and what kind of negotiations have been in with the SEC about this? Give us a sense of where we are. Sure. Uh, well, we we do think the probability is very high that uh, a, that Bitcoin ETFs will be approved this week, uh, and the reason, as we've been saying, is you know the SEC actually after you know denying denying uh, a, a number of times started asking questions, uh, very good questions, very detailed questions, very de technical questions. So uh, I think they've asked all the questions uh, they need answered. And I think uh, uh, most of us have probably uh, been a part of that, uh, a part of that, uh, you know, process. So let's assume, assume the SEC approves your application. What kind of impact would a Bitcoin ETF have? I mean, we've all noticed this run up uh, in Bitcoin, ever since BlackRock announced their interest from 30,000 to over 40,000, all of this is anticipation of a, a spot Bitcoin ETF. Do you, it, could this be a sell on the news event? What, what, what happens from here? Let's assume this is approved. Sure. Uh, I think so many people uh, are expecting now a, a sell on the news that we might not have a sell on the news because, you know, once you hear that enough, the positioning is already taking place. So who knows? It's a very short term. All we know is with our five year investment time horizon, uh, we think the flows into this new asset class um, especially institutional flows, but also retail flows. Retail has led the charge, of course, uh, that they're going to be quite substantial. And it won't take much of an allocation by institutions into Bitcoin to drive uh, what is becoming a scarce asset uh, much higher. 
Now, you recently uh, reportedly sold Coinbase stock. Uh, this is usually considered a, a proxy for Bitcoin. So what are your thoughts on, on Bitcoin now? What kind of, what, where, what, flesh out your ideas a little bit for us. So on, well, on Coinbase, uh, it was up 400% last year. And we, we as we do uh, normally, and you've seen us trading around Tesla, now trading around Coinbase, uh, a lot of good news. It became the largest stock in our flagship portfolio. In terms of Bitcoin, uh, we think uh, we've got three very big reasons for it to continue to move higher. One, it is digital gold. And gold is a $12 trillion asset. I think Bitcoin might be up to $800 billion right now. Uh, so we do think there is some substitution taking place. Uh, and uh, the institutional flows, if uh, the allocations were as little as 25 to, to 5%, which is uh, where we think they will end up, you'll, you'll see 0.5 and then 1%, you'll see a legging in. Um, that could be the biggest reason for a Bitcoin to go up because, you know, we're at 19 and a half million Bitcoin outstanding already. 15 million roughly are in long-term hands. They haven't moved their Bitcoin in more than 155 days. Uh, and uh, therefore, we're no, we know we're only going to 21 million units ever. So this indeed, from 19 and a half to 21 million, uh, is becoming a scarce asset. Scott? Wabner, how are you? Welcome to Halftime Report. It's good to see you again. I have a couple of questions for you. Um, a rough last week, obviously, but an incredible end of the year. Obviously, it seems as though the innovation fund specifically is is tracking the movement of the 10 year yield. First off, I mean, do you expect that that's the way it's just going to be for the foreseeable future? Um, I think algorithmic trading has taken us there, high frequency trading. Uh, but at some time, at some point, we think uh, uh, we've been in very many markets, for example, uh, 2017, when interest rates were moving up. Our flagship uh, strategy was up 85%. So uh, uh, algorithms have uh, gotten a hold of the market, we think, in, in the last couple of years, increasingly. Uh, but if we are right, interest rates are going to continue down. We think we're moving into a period of deflation, prices actually falling, oil prices today being a, a good catalyst there. And we think interest rates, if you look at where the long-term Treasury uh, ended up 5% in October. And you map that against uh, the ratio of metal prices to gold prices. You know, they had been tracking, the correlation was very tight for the last, well, since 2009. And they they parted company big time last, last year, 5%. That ratio would suggest that long-term treasury yields should be down closer to 2%. Now, maybe the truth will be somewhere in between, but we do believe that long rates overshot and that they have uh, and that they are on the way down. I want to ask you about portfolio management, because I look at so many of your top 10 holdings are up just tremendous amounts over the last three months. Really, you know, the, the rally from the end of October to the end of the year took many of your stocks higher. And I know, you know, the Innovation Fund had its best month, I think, ever in November. But on that note, 
when you look at a Roku, for example, that's up 31 percent in a few months or a UiPath 39, Block 56, Roblox 38, CRISPR 40, et cetera, you get my my point. At what point do you look at those and say, I need to trim some of those positions? They've either gotten too large or the gains are just too big. Uh, we have been trimming most of them. So, yes, that's portfolio management. So uh, we do indeed take profits. And if you'll notice last year, uh, the group that lagged so badly was our what we used to call our genomics group, the multiomics group, we now call it. Many people call it biotech. And uh, and so we you you saw us deploying some of those gains into the multiomic space, which is very relevant. Uh, JP Morgan conference on uh, this week. We think there's going to be a lot of good news and, and a lot of catalysts. Uh, Kathy, uh, it's pretty well known, I'm just going back to Bitcoin here, that a lot of the institutional, the old wirehouses, still don't allow their clients to access uh, Bitcoin. Do you think this spot Bitcoin ETF is going to make a difference? Will, will institutions become a little more uh, accepting and willing to offer it to their clients, or is there still going to be a significant institutional barrier here? I want to ask about Twilio. No, um Actually, actually, uh, we think that the SEC approval, should, should we and others get it, uh, is a green light for institutions. We've been talking um, to quite a few of them, and uh, they're much more interested now that the SEC effectively is paving the way. Briefly. Joe? Kathy, it's Joe. Real quick, wanted to ask you about the CEO change at Twilio. Does that give you any comfort, confidence, or do you look to move to the sidelines that they're not doing enough? Well, uh, we know there have been some activist investors involved, uh, so this seems to be uh, uh, the outcome of that. Um, we have believed that uh, the sum of the parts is worth more than the whole. It's a I think I checked this morning, it's uh, selling at two and a half times sales, uh, roughly 15 times uh, EBITDA. Uh, so, and we do believe that it should be one of the prime beneficiaries of uh, the uh, artificial intelligence breakthroughs that we're seeing because it has so much proprietary data. Uh, and so we'll be watching carefully to make sure that they uh, follow through on a lot of the AI promises that they, they made last year. Kathy, thanks very much. We are going to have much more on the expected approval of a spot Bitcoin ETF coming up on ETF Edge as we launch our seventh season. Joining Kathy, Kathy's going to be with us. Jan Van Eck, who also has an application for a spot Bitcoin ETF in. Doug Jonas will be joining as well. He's the head of exchange traded products here at the New York Stock Exchange. He'll update us on where the developments have been going. And Ophelia Snyder is the founder of 21 Shares. She's a partner with ARK in launching the spot Bitcoin ETF and other products as well. We'll hear from her. All that's coming up on ETF Edge at 1.10 p.m. Eastern Time. That's etfedge.cnbc.com. Scott, back to you. All right, Bob, appreciate that. Kathy, thanks as well. It's good to have you on our program today. Let's get to Bertha Coombs now with our headlines. Hi, Bertha. Hi, Scott. Trump attorneys have filed a motion in Georgia to dismiss Fulton County charges against the former president, claiming presidential immunity. The claim that the effort to overturn Joe Biden's 2020 victory in Georgia was part of his duties as president. A judge overseeing the federal January 6th criminal case against Trump has already rejected that immunity argument. An appeals court panel will hear those arguments Tuesday. 
Dr. Anthony Fauci is on Capitol Hill today to discuss the coronavirus pandemic with lawmakers. Fauci will speak with the House Select Subcommittee behind closed doors for two days that will reportedly include questions on the origins of the pandemic, vaccines and mask mandates. Fauci has also agreed to testify in a public hearing later this year. And Tiger Woods' decades-long partnership with Nike is over. Woods announced on social media today that his time with the iconic sports brand has come to an end. He has worn Nike apparel since he first signed with the company in 1996. Nike, of course, getting out of golf. So I guess Tiger's moving on. Scott? All right, Bertha, thank you. It's Bertha Coombs. Up next. We're going to hit today's top stock movers, including Lululemon. That's rebounding from earlier losses today. Big downgrade today for one financial stock. Joe owns it. We'll give you the trades when halftime comes right back. The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Let's talk about some committee stocks on the move today. We're showing you Lululemon. Interesting intraday move there. Joe, the stock is now positive, but it was down even as it raises its guidance. Kramer earlier today said it's down because people were expecting better numbers. People are always expecting better numbers. I mean, Jim's right. People are always expecting better numbers from this company. We've built up such a, a, a high level of expectations for Lulu over the last several years. And you know what? The company delivers. The company continues to execute. They continue to deliver in what has been a challenging environment. And I think today's price action is evidence to that. Weiss, you sold it back in a year ago, basically. Yeah. How, how was that for a well-timed sale? What's the stock like, doubled since then? Or not quite, but look, I keep hoping every quarter they're really gonna blow it. I mean, they own the market. You've got Aloe, which is doing okay, but you look at those stores when they're next to each other, figuratively speaking, in a mall, you see Lulu, there's a line at the register at Aloe, they're sort of begging people to come in. So I think they've got a fortress brand and I love the story, I love the clothes. They're, uh, they're, too, uh, they're too, you know, sculpted to athletic bodies so you won't be able to wear them. Well, obviously you're not but, wearing them. But, um, but look, I, I think it's, uh, it's a great story. It's just expensive, but it could, be, it could be like CMG, Chipotle, where it just holds that valuation forever, and I think likely it will. Joe, what about this Amex call, downgraded today to underperform, and that's it, Baird. They keep the 190 target. Throw up Amex, please. Well, AXP is especially exp isn't especially expensive. They say we see relatively little upside from here. I believe it should be sold as a source of funds. Up, upper teens valuation. Okay. I, I read the note. A lot of the note is predicated on their belief that the macro environment becomes more challenging. Uh, if, in fact, the macro environment does become more challenging, then yes, American Express is going to struggle in that environment, maybe not to the degree 
uh, some other companies uh, would like Discover, uh, but it would struggle in that environment. But the momentum is ridiculously strong for this company. It's been very strong over the last 90 days. It's one of the reasons why one of the factors that's kept us in the stock since the initial purchase at the end of July. All right, Jimmy, City today mentioned as one of their, quote, underappreciated double winners. And that's by Evercore ISI today. This uh, rating remains in line neutral. You own it. Yeah, it feels like there's been a lot of analyst upgrades for Citigroup recently, and the stock's responded up about 33% in three months. There's a little bit of a day of reckoning coming this Friday when earnings will come out. And, you know, the memory of Nike is fresh in my mind where that stock was the upgrades were being piled on and then they disappointed. I I don't think that's the case here. I think Jane Frazier's expense uh, cost cutting is working. But one thing to keep in mind for Friday is all these concerns about consumer delinquencies, they're going to come home on Citigroup where they've got a very big private label credit card business. Let's see what happens in that business as they report on Friday. Don't you think that's going to be a buying opportunity, though, if the stock does get hit, if they do miss, that people will focus on on the restructuring, which is going to take a few years to play out, and well, it's still I, so cheap. Yeah, I, I, I'm sorry, I should say that. I own the shares. I like the shares here because I think at this price, it's already a buying opportunity, and right. I'm not that worried about the consumer for all the reasons I've listed, mainly that the labor market is quite strong and remains that way. Your buddy there to your left is, like, itching to get into this name. I know it. He knows it. He's yep. even said it. So I, I, he's watching it closely. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll last thing on this. I, I was they, hoping they that buy, was the one right? you they buy, back a ton of right? yeah. they buy back a ton of shares well below tangible book yep. value. What are you, you waiting for, means. Weiss? I'm waiting for him to sell. No, seriously, what are no, you waiting I'm, for? I'm, I'm waiting to get some relief. The stock has been just on a tear over three months. Lots of, lots of dissatisfied shareholders who owned it for a long time, I thought was that maybe now's the time they just get it off their ledgers. So I don't know. Um, I'll, I'll probably step up. I, you know, I think that isn't that, the risk at this point from earnings, right? Jane Frazier's already kind of kitchen sinked it at the beginning. Yeah. Now she's gone through all these moves, so yeah. the sentiment this, is this much would more be favorable. the last quarter if they miss because of charge-offs. Um, this would be the last quarter of it, in my view. That's not well telegraphed because it is telegraphed the restructuring. Mike Santoli, he's next with his Midday Word Plus. Anastasia is going to give us her contrarian idea for 2024. We're back after this. Are you following the Halftime Report podcast? What are you waiting for? Look for us in your favorite podcasting app. Follow the Halftime Podcast now. All right, we're back. Senior Markets commentator Mike Santoli. There he is. Nice graphic and everything for you, Michael. Wow. (laughs) <laughs> I wasn't even aware that was coming. I well, appreciate the baseball card. Hey, yeah. it's, that's what we do for our, uh, our guests here. What's your take here on what lies ahead this week and the importance of it? You know, it feels like inflation, because the trend has been so friendly to the bull case, that's now in the, in the column that says we got this. So I, I guess CPI tomorrow can challenge that a little bit. But to me, I think one of the conclusions from the Fed minutes last week was that the uh, more attention is on the potential downside risk of the economy. That's the leg of the soft landing scenario that you might have to pay more attention to. So I think that applies to investors as well. So far, it looks like pretty routine pullback stuff. Nothing that really got got you alarmed uh, about a change in overall market character. Doesn't mean it's over. I still think you have to keep in mind earnings estimates have been coming down hard uh, for the for the fourth quarter for the reporting season about to start. You do have that tendency of 
you know, early year chop, uh, especially in an election year. So see how it plays out. But I don't think that the first week of the year, as rough as it might have been for, for some areas of the market, was uh, something that necessarily stands out as a, as a real stark warning. Good to get the inflation expectations read that we did when yeah. we did it. Right after what happened last week, rates sort of backed up just a little bit. People got a little nervous about whether they were over their skis on what the Fed might do. Yeah, exactly. Now, I, I've been a little bit of a, you know, throw some cool water on inflation expectations based on these measures, uh, but it does fit in with the data, too. So it's not something that I think you have to say is, is some kind of an outlier. So I do agree with that. Uh, yields are, are definitely softening up a little bit on that. I also see most of the Treasury moves so far this year also as profit taking. If you look at the 10 year Treasury and price terms, it's like a stock that went from 91 to 105 and it's pulled back to 103. So it didn't really change the trend. Yeah, no, it's an epic move in November. Uh, that, that's clear. All right, cool. Uh, I'll see you on Closing Bell. Right. That's Mike Santoli. Coming up, more contrarian ideas for 2024. Anastasia is going to tell us why it is time to bet on this unloved part of the market, and she'll do it when we come back. All right, we want to con uh, continue our contrarian picks by our committee members. Anastasia is with us today. Uh, so what have you been thinking about? Uh, real estate, commercial real estate in both public and private markets, and I would actually say across the entire capital stack, equity and also debt. And first of all, Scott, talk about a hated asset class. That's for it, sure. You know, there's so many concerns about maturities and the $1.5 trillion that needs to be refinanced. And by the way, some of those mortgages were taken out at 3.5% interest rates. They need to be refied at 65 So clearly that's a concern. Then there's the office vacancies, and that's been so well telegraphed and talked about, but we're talking about 17 or percent, 17 or 18% vacancy rates. And so as a result of all of that, if you look at flows into commercial real estate, they have slowed to a trickle last year. And for the performance in the public markets, REITs, the IYR ETF is up about 8%, and the S&P was up 24% last year. So I think I've made the case that this is not an asset class that is well-liked and very contrarian. But here is my take. Yes, there's concerns about the wall of maturities and who's going to refi that, but there's also a big pool of capital, both in private credit and real estate funds, private funds that are eager to lend to the commercial real estate space, because guess what? They're getting paid about 9% for that debt. So I think there are providers of capital. The other thing I would say is, you know, even though they do have to refinance at 6.5% interest rates, some of those companies, some of those real estate uh, operators, uh, they can withstand that because 90% of their real estate companies can actually service their debts and have the appropriate coverage ratios over and above one. So that's a lot of resiliency. And then, Scott, the last point, office, yes, it is a concern. Yes, we're going to see a higher defaults there, but it's a relatively small asset class. It's about 16% of the maturities that are out there. It's about 15% of the overall CRE assets. And it's just about 2.5% of the overall physical assets in the United States. So we're not talking about broad-based stress here. So I would be looking to buy public REITs. I would be looking to buy a real estate debt. And I think that's exactly what some of the managers we talked to are doing. All right. Good stuff. Thank you for that. Final Trades coming up next. All right. 3 o'clock Eastern closing bell. I hope you'll join me as we walk you through this final stretch. By the way, market's coming back quite nicely, too. Dow might actually go positive before we say goodbye. A.J. Oden, Cameron Dawson, Kevin Simpson, they'll join me at 3 o'clock, and I hope you will as well. In the meantime, Mr. Weiss. What is your final trade? Microsoft. I think you're seeing the momentum. The sellers got out of the way last week. I think momentum continues. And I think we're actually going to see a pretty good earnings result from them when they report over the next few weeks. Okay. Farmer Jim? BlackRock, uh, increasing assets under management as the market rallies, increases their fees. Anastasia? 
Cybersecurity, a really strong area of growth, 14% 2024 uh, growth in, expected in cybersecurity, and it's not back to its all-time high, so I like that. Joe Goldman, Chi. Goldman Sachs cleared the 380 high from last year, four and a quarter, next target. You bought it late last week. Yes. All right, I'll see you on the closing bell. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. All opinions expressed by the Halftime Report participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Halftime Report participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Halftime Report disclaimer. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve with the help of T-Mobile for Business. Our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 